0: The Sama Podcast, in the podcast Sulu-England and so so that is why we name this a summer Podcast. Welcome to the summer Podcast with Raman Bharat, that brings summer stories showing the limitless potential of every human liver For the first episode, we have an amazing guest with us. Uh, Bharat, do you want to introduce him? Sure. So, we have with us uh,
1: Dinesh Victor. Dinesh Victor is the Managing Director of uh, SIP Academy. They've been around for 15 years in education. Uh, They have franchisees and their own uh, centers spread across 23 states uh, with over 630 franchisees in over 300 cities uh, and with over 7 lakh children getting education uh, from their programs. So welcome Dinesh and thank you so much
0: for being part of this show. Thank Thank you Bharat and and thank you Ram. Thank you so much Dinesh, thank you for uh, being a first guest of the first episode of this summer podcast. Uh, Dinesh, you know the first question only. Janana, now you are making uh, all kids learn mathematics in an easy way, right? Mathematics and mathematics. How much you scored in mathematics in your 10th standard, Dinesh?
2: <laughs>
3: Nalla <Nuller> question. <laughs> I think I surprisingly did well in my 10th. I got, I remember in CBSE, I was 98 out of 100. Wow. And uh, uh-huh. I still remember where I lost those two marks and I was hitting uh-huh. myself. I should have done those two marks. <laughs> but, but let me be honest, that has nothing to do with the business. Uh, okay. <laughs> you don't need to do so well in maths to do well in your business at all it just happened that they were it happened in both cases but it's not necessary at all all right all right
0: so talking about your childhood dinesh we know that you studied in eight different cities in eight different schools right bharat like yeah. uh, yes yes
3: fine. i was in my ninth standard and i was in my eighth school oh,
2: so, <laughs>
3: man. so so, so and, and I had no choice because my dad was in the Indian Air Force. So, he was just kind of thrown out every two years or three years from one town to the other. From the north to the west to the east to the back to the west again and then to the south. So, we kind of traveled the length and breadth of country. In those days, in trains, obviously, there were no flights to take. But I tell you, uh, I always was, you know, used to complain when I was young that, you know, what is this? I just make some friends and get along with people and again, I have to go to a new city. <laughs> completely try to make new friends and then you get along with some people, again, you have to go to a new city. And usually when you go to a new city, they already have their own, you know, networks and friends. You've got to kind of break yeah. into that. But it was always a little bit of a, you know, I used to feel little, you know, I don't know the right word, but little diffident about, you know, trying this every time. But later on, when I grew up and looked back, there were two fundamental great things that I learned through my childhood. Many young people of my time had never traveled much outside their own cities or their towns. Uh, at best, they would have gone for some holidays. But I've actually lived there. I've seen people. I've talked to them. And uh, no doubt we were a little cuckooed in an air force station. It was a little, you know, typical British English speaking and all that stuff. Yeah. But still, one does get a lot of chance to meet with the local people, talk to them in the local languages, see the local festivals. And traveling by train used to take, you know, like, I'll give you an example. I used to live uh, in my class seven and eight. My dad was posted in a small town called Gaisalmer. Quite famous nowadays because of a tourist attraction. But those days, it was a kind of unknown town. And from there to come to my hometown in Tirnall
2: Valley,
3: used to take us, you won't believe us, almost six days. Okay. Days and nights, like... uh... Days (laughs) and nights, yeah. yeah. You would leave on a... You know, you're on a Friday night and then you'll reach maybe on a Wednesday or a Thursday morning to Valley, And then the whole journey back is another six stages. So you would go from Jaisalmer to Jodhpur, to Jodhpur to Delhi. You'll wait for the GT Express or Tamil Nadu, come to Chennai. Then you'll spend a night in Chennai, then take the Valley Express the next night. and Then come to Nalay Express and then come to Valley. So the whole process, but we were young, so we didn't find the stress and we used to enjoy meeting. But the fact is, it told me about the vastness of our country. And it just gave me a great perspective of what a lovely, great country that we all are part of. And a second great thing that childhood taught me is the ability to get along with people, even if you don't know them too well. Because a lot of people I know are kind of are comfortable in their own groups, you know. If you're a Tamilian, you like to be with Tamilians. Or if you're a North Indian, you like to be with North Indians. But language makes a huge effect, no doubt in that. But I was able to actually interact with different kinds of people and that really helped me in my entrepreneurial journey. Because I have to obviously interact with a lot of people from across the country. So how many
0: languages you speak, Dinesh? It? Like-
3: uh, I actually speak largely only three languages. Okay. That is Hindi, English and Tamil. But I can understand Malayalam well because I was living in uh, Kerala for quite some time. And I can understand to a certain extent Bengali and Marathi because they are kind of closer to Hindi. And... Uh, Obviously, one other thing that my parents instilled on me, which is true for most people of that generation is study, 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 you know, you have to do well and life will do well only if you do well at school. And luckily, I was in schools where uh, it was a smaller school in small, small towns, So I was able to do reasonably well. So that gave me a confidence that maybe I'm actually smart, you know, and that actually helped you to give the confidence to do well also in life. So I think childhood really gave me the right building blocks in many ways, I would say. For, uh, for what I was actually going to do later on in life.
1: I just want to dig a little deeper on that. Like you said, your childhood played a very influential part, right? Can you talk us through a little bit about your home, you know, how your environment, your relationship with your parents, siblings and family, You know what was the value
3: system you grew up around? So I think, uh, see, it's like a typical Indian family of the 80s, you know, is struggling to make their ends meet, even though he was in the Air Force. The last five days of the month, you would have no cash at hand. So, you know, it would be tight in the last five days like everybody else. You would enjoy the first 10-15 days and the last 5-6 days would be tight. You would be scraping for everything. But luckily, in the Air Force, I was quite sheltered in the sense that, you know, it was a weird to so have a nice house and a niceish place to stay. And, and uh, one other great thing about the Indian Air Force, I realized much later on, is that it's completely less and I would say religionless, Unlike the society okay. we used eh? today. I never knew what a caste is till I, you know, came in 9th or 10th standard which is actually very unique and I came out and lived in civilian life, I guess, when I first really realized there is some concept called caste but there is a concept <laughs> and even uh, the great thing about uh, the uh, the way we used to live in the efforts was we used to celebrate all festivals so mm-hmm. though we were Christians, I have celebrated Holi and Diwali, and I always thought that is our own festival. And I never realized it's something unique and different to a religion. (laughs) Mm
2: -hmm.
3: At the other end, at home, I think uh, no doubt there was some emphasis on education and being serious about studying, Mm -hmm. simply because, like uh, uh, my mom, especially when I was very young, she used to insist that you know, study well, you know, like typical mothers. Again, I was very lucky. Again, I would say it's a luck, you know. Looking back, my mom was uh, also pretty educated for her times, and I okay. realized this far later on in life. That time, I didn't appreciate it because she was a housewife. But she is somebody who's actually done her masters.
0: Oh wow! Didn't
3: completed, it, but she did her masters uh, way back in 1960s in biology, oh. and that is very unique of a woman. Which my sister yeah. only told me much later that a lady who can speak good English and who can also, who has done a master's, is extremely elitist in the India of the, 1990s, the 1980s. Ooh. And she yeah, also I mean. realized this very interestingly when she went to England. My sister went to England. And when she told her English friends that my mother is a postgraduate, they were stunned because most English friends of us didn't have mothers who were postgraduates. <laughs> the idea of knowledge and education was there in our family very young. Without realizing it and putting it on your face, you know. And that, I think, uh, Bharadwaj also was one key thing, which again, I realized it much later in life. At that point of time, I would play like everybody else in the evening, go for cricket, football. Mm-hmm. Only thing during the exam, one would take it a little more seriously and, you know, try to study a little bit.
0: Uh, but still, books. you made it to I8, you know, Dinesh, like, uh... Uh, I'll
3: tell you that story a little later. <laughs> which, at I was much younger age. Mm-hmm. So I was to read books. And again, a lot of books my dad brought his interest. So I have read all the Secret Sevens and the Hardy Boys and the Nancy Drews and the three. I find out. That was actually a very good fiction. I also love all these fiction reading and Amartya Katar comics. So I was actually quite eclectic, I would say, in my early age, which again, a lot of young people, I guess, don't have that. Uh, they are a little unfortunate not to have that exposure when they are young. So I have read quite a lot of the typical fiction books and that also helped me a lot. Reading books has been a great, uh, I would say, habit which I have continued. Obviously, later on, I moved to non-fiction books. Now coming to IIT, I think mm-hmm. that was a natural progression because in 10th standard, I did well. I was second in school, so they thought you were smart and I was I was new to that school. I went only in ninth. So it was actually lucky we had all these central schools everywhere. So even in when I came to Trivandrum in class 9, my dad put me in the central school, the Gendri Patam, which mm-hmm. uh, surprisingly has been the number one private school the last three, four years. But those days it was a good school, nice school, whatever else, you know, there's like any other school. But it's a pretty good, decentish uh, school. And we took a house nearby. So, and I did well in 10th. Automatically, you know, when you do well in 10th, those days, what options you have. Yeah, There are only two options. Either you go to become a doctor or you become an engineer. There's nothing else mm-hmm. in life in the 1980s. Mm-hmm. So, obviously, one started studying for IIT because that was considered to be the other uh, route. Other, And you are a smart kid, so you can study. My yeah, dad also encouraged me. And there also I was lucky, actually, again, that I had a... a Neighbor of mine who was a year or two senior who had made it to IIT after taking a one year break and he went to IIT Kharagpur. He also encouraged me saying that Vinay, it's a very good thing, it's a big thing, you should get in, it's like a superb thing, your life is made, blah blah blah. You, know, typically you think your life is made, you get into college at those days, you don't have much. So, like every other kid, I studied, I took it little sincerely, I did study, my dad got me some, you know, the typical brilliance and agarwal, whatever training material, and I used to be a little sincere kid working on it and trying to do it and uh, just kept sticking and it just happened that I made it that year. But uh, it was just, I would say diligence and nothing else I would say, only diligence and steady work that made it. And after I got in only, I realized, I would say, oh wow, we got to IIT, wow, and thing and all that. I said, okay, fine. Now I've made it in life. I've come to IIT. <laughs> so it was IIT, IIT.
1: IIT Bombay?
3: IIT Bombay. Yeah. Okay. So I did my chemical engineering there.
1: Chemical engineering. Okay. How was IIT? It was a great
3: non-academic experience. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like the Three so, Idiots movie. That exactly. I mean, yeah. uh, I think more than the Three Idiots movie. you see this movie called Chichore, if you've ever seen that movie. Yeah. That's exactly how my life in IIT was, you know. Hardly in academics, a lot of sports, lot of culture, fun, meeting friends. I know we freaked out. Acads was the last in our priority. And the logic was simple. I made it to IIT. Why should I study now? <laughs> little did I realize little did I realize that life is not so easy. <laughs> but yes, at that point of time at the young age, that is all you think, right? You know, two years I've sacrificed studying, didn't do you know, too much of fun and you know just did the reasonable fun. But now let us freak out. And so obviously, kind of
1: say, once from IIT, you naturally progressed on to uh,
3: Aspiring Yeah. No, no, it's not like that. Uh-huh. It was a little more complicated. <laughs> so typically, in those days, the whole story was uh, you do well, reasonably well in a cats, go get an MS to the US scholarship in a good university, and then your life is completely set, you know. You don't have to worry about life at all because and anybody who had a little bit of brains and a little bit of sense would do that. I mean, so if you're not going to the U.S., you're basically a failure in IIT. So that was the general, you know, the guys who are right at the bottom of the class who can't make it in life are the ones who can't go to the U.S. So, I.M. was never a, you know, preferred thing for the IITNs in those days. It was like, uh, he get, poor guy, he couldn't make it, so let so You know, he's making it to I.M. kind of stuff. So that was the perspective of the youngsters in the 80s. But we didn't know because those days, liberalization had not yet happened. Okay. So the salary was not great in corporate world there were great opportunities in the corporate world see what you see today was not the india of the 80s and 90s right mm-hmm. so even getting a job in a very good company also uh, Reliance, you'll just get a job okay they'll pay you some decent salary instead of being an engineer you will be a manager there so you're getting 8,000 a month you'll get 12,000 a month that's it so fundamentally life is going to be very different it's not like today but if you go to the U.S., life is completely different. You know, you can earn a lot of money in dollars. You can get sixty, seventy thousand dollars a year salary. You can buy a house quickly. You can buy a car, a car. You can travel around the world. You can save a lot of money. Blah blah blah. It was very far more financially lucrative than joining corporate India in the. An
0: country. easy path. Better Those than. days
3: visa were also
0: easy, right? Not visa
3: also was very very easy. Very yeah. easy. There yeah. was no problem at all. So that is the general. And it was a great idea, but somehow. I did, uh, honestly, uh, if you ask me, one of the key turning points of my life was an IIT. And the turning point was not anything else but a abject failure. Okay. Really abject failure. And I still remember that day very well. I was like all kids, not serious about studies, enjoying my life and everything else. And in my third year, I think mean, third year, yeah, third year, first semester, I had a uh they used to call it a seminar those days you know you basically have a you have to take a topic research it and present it so i also had picked up some topic i forget what the topic also was now and like everybody else i just went through the motions didn't take it seriously Till the last few days then you have to you know complete the whatever report and then you have to make a presentation on the so i rushed did the report i didn't even understand what was there but some i just picked up some data here and they like all youngsters not very serious about things And I went and did the presentation that day. There was a young professor who was my guide. Who was a guy who had done well in his course. So I was casual. What is going to happen? Depending on, you know, if you're very good, you'll give a A grade. If you're very bad, they'll give you a B grade. So don't waste your time on all these things. These are not very critical courses for you. But that guy was a good professor. And uh, he was quite serious about academics. And uh, you know, like a young guy would come back from the U.S. He had studied in IIT, went to the U.S. and he's come back. He really was quite serious about, you know, all these things. So He saw my work and his first question was, you know, this is pathetic, Dinesh. What shit have you done? I and mean, he just used these kinds of words. You know? And he ex- went on to, I would say, humiliate me in public. By, you know, telling me, you know, how many errors you've made, how many grammatical mistakes you've made, you'd made no sense in this report of yours. He had actually gone through it, counted the number of errors, counted the number of grammatical mistakes, which shows you have absolutely no passion towards this, no commitment, you are a complete disgrace to, you know, studying this thing and all that. He just made it look, and I was psyched. I tried my presentation and obviously I went nowhere, and somehow I wanted the seminar to get over somehow and get out of that 40 minutes of talk but i think uh, i came home that day and i roamed to my room that day i really deeply thought about what had happened and i really realized that i really had no passion for it and i think that was a big realization for me that otherwise i have never messed up anything mm-hmm. like this because i was a good student at school so i never messed up anything else but this was my first big mess up and I knew that I had to make a change in my whole thinking. And that's the day I decided that I will not pursue engineering in the future.
0: Okay, as a professional.
3: As a professional. But I know I'm not going to be great yet, and I didn't want to be an average in life. So I said I must do something different. And that's how I thought of something alternate to do. And that's how this idea of people said, why don't you look at IIM, it's got a much better option. And then i took it quite seriously in my fourth fifth semester did the cat quite well that's how basically i made it to i a and uh, then i was pretty serious about whatever i did so that was the last time i was not serious in life about anything it was when i was in iit my third year and since then i think i've largely been serious about whatever i do i don't just simply waste my time beyond a point so i think failures are the key places to learn i think this is a thing i keep telling young people you don't learn in successes You learn only when you fail, and many people don't realize this. And you can only learn after you fail, you go back and look at it. You don't learn during the failure, because that time you're pained, you're sick, you're feeling sad, you're feeling pathetic, you're feeling emotional. But you need to go back and look back about your failure and take responsibility for why you failed. If if I had blamed my professor for what he had done, I would have not done what I did today in life. I never blamed him. Though I was extremely angry with him. Why you know, why me? Why did he have to pick on me? You know, So many of my friends also must have messed up. But those guys didn't get so equally badly jacked. This guy, because he was a very enthue young professor, so I got in and he wanted to make a case out of me and he messed my life. I could have gone that route. But I didn't go that route. And I, I think one very good thing, that same night I sat down, I rewrote the whole thing with proper English. That whole thesis, I rewrote it. And next day morning, I went and gave it to him. I still remember that. I said, I know Professor Shanoi, you will not uh, want it because you already you given the grade. But I feel that I should make up for whatever mess I did. So Here is my written report. It may not make any impact for you. But for me, I want to do it. I don't think he took it seriously or not. I don't know. But mm. it was good for me to do that work. And I was out with that negativity, whatever I had gone through the previous day.
0: I think this is one key lesson to all the youngsters, uh, Dhanush. Uh, really inspiring. Like uh, The story where, the part of your story where you transformed and started taking things seriously. That is a key lesson.
3: I think it will happen to everybody's life. It is just that people don't know uh, that. Everybody goes through mess-ups in life and they should go through it. It is, do you learn from that mess-up or do you blame others for your mess-up? That's all the fundamental difference. The day you start blaming others for your mess-up, then you have to wait for the next mess-up to learn.
2: <laughs> yeah. Mess-ups
0: happen, but in different volumes. Uh, it can be a grade or it can be a... Anything. Mess-ups will be. happen. Yeah,
3: It's a question of when do you take responsibility for your mess-ups and not blame the world outside is when I think you will really change.
0: So, from IAD to IAM, that progression happened. And from IAM, uh, you... Yeah, I went to
3: a company called Gortridge, so yeah. I enjoyed marketing, I learned a lot. I really was doing good branding, marketing. I was serious, like I said, after that, so I used to work late. I mm-hmm. thirty seven 637, I did a lot of analysis, not because my bosses wanted to impress anyone, mm-hmm. but I really wanted to learn and I wanted to be, you know, understand this thing a little more in depth, uh, the business a little more in depth. And I did some interesting work there. Then I moved to Chennai for sales. And then I uh, did good work there also. It was reasonably interesting work. It was very, sales was a come down from, you know, brand marketing those days. You know, even now they say, you know. But I learned a lot in sales, handling people, handling salesmen directly. And, you know, those days in an IIT IM guy, you're coming down and handling salesmen. You know you should be the area manager or the stated. But I used to report to the stated. And he was far less educated than me. So that guy should call me, sir, and all that almost, you know. I said, no, no, you're my boss. No, no, no. You're coming from head office. So you should be. No, no. I said, no, nothing like that. I, mean, I was just handling a small portion of Chennai. And about a year, I really enjoyed that work also. And I think one of the salesmen tracked me down after almost, what, 30 years. And he called me. Sir, how are you? And all that. Just a few days back, somehow he got my number and he called me. We still remember you. <laughs> and I just spent six, seven months doing this, okay? And then I moved to a bank. Those days, it was called Grindley's Bank. And later on, became Standard Chartered Bank. And that was more a purely financial decision because this, uh, all my friends and my wife said that, you know, this will be more money you get into this. Why do you want to struggle and work so hard and not earn enough and all that stuff? And okay, I also wasn't going anywhere in Chennai. The sales career wasn't going too much in portraits, So I kind of moved to the bank. And there also I learned a lot. I, I learned a lot about banking. I did pay a little bit more money than obviously the other job, but I learned consumer banking and how people you know, look at, I had no idea of the world of uh, finance and banking. And that gave me a lot of understanding of processes. See, banking gave me a lot of understanding how you create systems and that helped me a lot in my entrepreneurial journey also. Because you have to deal with the authorities very regularly when you run a business, you know. Uh, and we figured larger you should, and I was very confident about handling all that aspects thanks to the banking experience. You have to deal with banks, you have to deal with you know, government authorities, uh, co- company law, a lot of stuff you got to learn and do. A lot of that learning happened uh, in my banking. And then I moved to Bangalore where I handled mortgages, uh, loans, basically. I was heading with the mortgages portfolio. I also learned a lot in that process also. And one of my biggest learnings was I handled a franchisee kind of process. We used to have this comfortable DSA, which is quite common. Banks don't run the loans until they, you know, appoint agencies to do the loans for them. So I was actually quite responsible for the agency. And that agency I was responsible for was run by a guy, again, a very smart guy who had a team under him. And he was a small entrepreneur. So he was like an entrepreneur, you know, waiting for the, based on the business done by him, we would pay him a commission. Using that money, he would pay his employees. He would pay, run the office rentals, everything else. So it was critical that he does business and gets the loans approved for him to manage his next month's costs. You got it? So and the depending on loan approval was you know how the bank's internal processes and usually banks are bureaucratic. You give me that paper, give me this paper, you know usual typical banking. So I would be the guy to push the credit to you know get it with. If the loans don't happen, he won't have the money to pay his salaries to his people. So I really learned. And if I have to convince him to invest in an extra resource or extra sales guy, you need to explain the economics to him and get the business growing up. Prove it to him that you'll get more business. Then only you can invest. So I learned a lot about small entrepreneurship which helped me a lot in my later stage when I went into franchising. So I think I was quite lucky that every stage taught me something which helped me to the next and the next and the next stage. So after uh, that uh, Godri, then as a banker and uh, you worked only with Standard Chartered or? That's you... it, just two organizations, Fortricks okay. and Grindles, that became Standard Chartered. So Fundamentally then, 3, then started. Yeah, then got into your EdTech business. Ed-tech. Worked with some other company, right? Uh, No, no, no.
0: Before starting
2: SIP?
3: Yeah, so I'll tell you how it started off. So Mm -hmm. the interesting thing was, uh, again, it is like many other things, it is factors not in your control, but you just kind of make use of it. So in the bank, there was a friend of mine uh, who was with me in the bank, myself and another friend of mine from IIT. So three of us wanted to start something. It had nothing to do with Abacus, something else. And we tried some ideas and we were discussing and we thought we got some idea in place. But fundamentally, that idea didn't go through. It didn't work. So almost six months of working out and uh, meeting in Bangalore. I I was in Bangalore, but it didn't work out. In the meanwhile, my friend who was with me in the bank, his mother was the founder of the first Abacus company in India, a company called UCMA. So she was the first founder there. And a year after she started off that company, she left the company. She had some issues with the founder, she left.
1: Dinesh, for and the benefit of others, can you just tell very quickly what is Abacus?
3: Yeah, the Abacus is a very small instrument uh, which is used by usually in the old days to do calculations, addition, subtraction before the calculator. But over the last, I would say 20-30 years, it's been used as a tool to train children, which is not some very modern idea to train children. And in India it started about 20 years ago, it's internationally maybe about 30 years old. So it's largely a very modern idea. And uh, it's 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 training children, like many people think it's to train in math, which is true. Kids do learn math well. But if you've seen certain videos, you know, kids are able to do math mentally, they're able to do you know numbers. If you give them a set of numbers, they'll add it mentally. So it looks very interesting, and kids are able to add numbers using their brain to visualize numbers. But the real benefit is not just the fact that you can do math easily and you can add numbers mentally. The true benefit which you show it over longer, long run is kids develop their ability in their brain to learn faster. And how they do that is by developing their concentration, their visual memory, their learning skills. And this combination helps the children not only to do well in math but also to absorb learning in other topics quite faster than normal. And they are able to use you know, larger portions of the brain. There are MRI studies which show that kids are able to serve other larger portions of the brain to absorb problems. And this is useful for kids, not just in class 4, 5, 6 when they learn, but also this skill ability stays for them in the long run in life. So a lot of people don't understand the abacus because they see it as only a math, easy math tool. No doubt that's an attractive reason and marketing way to call people in. But the true benefit is a lot more deeper for kids and much more longer standing for kids in life.
2: So you said your,
1: your colleague's mom was specialized in this yes, instrument. Yes, not specialized. She
3: just had started the company. So you okay. get specialized in the initial stage, But she knew about this idea. Okay. So coming back to that story, uh, we were starting something. It didn't work out. And I met this auntie and she told me that, you know, why don't you people start Abacus. And that's how I got introduced to the word abacus way back in two thousand. And but uh, how you believe that idea will work? Like you what believe you at believe? all? <laughs> Tell <Okay>. you honestly, <laughs> in the beginning you are not clear about anything. It is all. I really love this word: impetuousness of youth. When you are young, you think you can do a lot of things. Which is actually, the naivety, the naivety, the innocence, and the impetuousness. <laughs> we can do anything. Kuchbi bhi types. You know that you know we can manage anything. But it's just the confidence of youth. And at that point of time, we were very keen to start something. See, it was also the other way and nothing was working out. So when she came up with this idea, okay, let us try this out. So that is how we started. So when you say motion.
1: try it out, you mean t- training people in usage of this instrument for improving their cognitive abilities?
3: No, 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 running it as a business. Try okay. it right out as a business. So we didn't know all that, what will actually work till we started it out can get so I said, what okay, did
1: that business involve and what did you see in it
3: yeah so then we spent the next one year understanding the business so 2000 is when we heard about it next seven eight months we did some um, calculations what is the fee parents can pay some simple basic excel calculation and at that point of time without too much of uh, you know great understanding we said yeah this looks like a good business if we get so many children it'll make enough money to pay our existing salaries so we did that simple math okay so this much we can get in one or two years so we can go for this business. It was as simple as that. We can we go back to our current salaries within a year and a half or two years. That was the only logic that we had in our brain. Then, it will go better. So it will get better only with time. So we don't have to worry too much. And that's how we started the first venture with uh, these uh, three of us and this uh, auntie of ours in 2001. Uh, in we, when we tied up with the company in Malaysia to pay them a royalty to learn how to do the advocacy we had uh, done on that work. Uh, and we started off and uh, we were the second company in the country to start the abacus in Chennai. Uh, and uh, even the USIMA is also in Chennai. So Chennai actually is the home for the abacus for the whole country. And uh, first one and a half years, it went off quite well. We had about 70 centers and, you know, quite a few students had joined us. We had all challenges, no doubt, convincing people it was a different challenge. But I won't get into too much of that. Uh, the real story uh, is a year and a half later, I realized that this is a much bigger program to impact children because I was also training the teachers for this program. When I started the first time, it was purely economics and money, you know, starting some business and, you know, doing something on your own, not be your own boss kind of thinking. But a year and a half later, I realized this program has got a lot more than just that. And the same time I faced my, I would say my second big failure. That is, I and this auntie were getting into a lot of issues in running the organization, you know, we were, she had a different vision and I had a different way of looking at the future and we were constantly arguing and so at the end of the day, we decided to part ways. and uh, my friend actually decided to go with his mother, which was quite not uh, unnatural yeah. and my other third friend was with me in IIT. He said, no, he said, now I want to be out of these ventures, whatever you guys. because I'm in the US. So finally I was alone. And uh, that is the real time I had to take a decision whether I should go back to this industry or take up a corporate job. And both were actually very interesting options because my original idea was to start something in life. It was not really to make money or anything. And I had done that one and a half years. I had started a startup. And corporate India also was paying a lot more money in those days. Not like the earlier days. And I had obviously a good degree and a good backup. And, and which year enough. was this? Nine, 2003.
2: 2003.
3: Mm-hmm. Okay. so. Uh, I had worked for eight years into good industries, good good organizations. I had spent a year and a half starting up something. So I think I was quite valuable to corporate world also. And I did, to be honest, uh, go and look for uh, one or two, uh, put my resume with ABC consultancy and said, okay, find me a job if you get something interesting, you know, take me a month or two. I did do that also. But parallelly, I also thought deeply about restarting the Abacus program because a lot of people told me, Dinesh, you know it for one and a half years. Why don't you restart? And finally, I, I went to Malaysia also. I met the you know, our, the company which was working with us and I met the founder there and I told him that I like the way you guys teach and the, your concept of teaching but I don't want to start Abacus with somebody else. In case you cancel your contract with the existing company that is there and sign up freshly with me Individually, i start a new firm, then I'll seriously consider starting. Otherwise, I'm planning to take up a job. I don't want to restart this with somebody else and start something on my own. I like your idea well and it's a good way to look at things. And that was also something good that he took some time and he came back and said, okay, if you really want to start off, then I'll cancel and come to you. And that is where my second, I would say, big decision in life. The first big decision, I would say, was not going to the US and staying in India which was a big decision at those days. And I really took that decision because I realized that I was in a unique position where I knew the business aspect as well as I knew the technical aspect of, you know, how this program can help children, the teaching aspect. It was very unique among all the other companies who had started up at that point of time. So finally, I restarted in 2003, August, and that's how the company, SIP Academy, started in 2003. We had about 70 franchisees at that point of time in the earlier firm. About half came back and joined us, half stayed back with the earlier company. And I remember I still started with about two employees, me and two employees on the first day. And then I think two or three more joined, were five employees. And from there, we've kind of built it to, like I said, today we've got more than 750 centers in the abacus. And we've also added three other programs. Uh, we have an art program, which is pretty big in Chennai, called Global Art. And we've got about 140 centers on global art across India and we run it in a few countries. So, uh, yes, we are running in about 350 cities across India.
1: Uh, I just want to take you back a little bit, rewind yeah. a little bit more. Again to 2003 or 2000. Yeah. somewhere there. So, you mentioned that, you know, uh, uh, you had your second failure, right? And I'm assuming you're you're referring to the aspect about starting it with the uh, other lady and, you know, that thing not going Exactly, well. there's okay. the second phrase, correct. Okay. But then, uh, it, it turns out that that's what propagated you to actually take a flight and go down to Malaysia and, uh, you know... Uh, so, it, in, in most people would say that, okay, you know, naturally, this person started it, you would say that, okay, they have the right of ownership or whatever, you know, and you would go on to do something else, but then... You didn't do that. You
3: thought differently. You actually got on a flight, went to Malaysia, and told them. That... I even offered to buy out their stake. Okay. I paid them. I offered them a pretty large amount of money, which my friend said excellent. I would uh, take that money, and uh, my but my, his mother said no, no, I don't want to sell out. You can actually exit. So that's how I actually exited in July. Actually, I offered them a very good money in those days to buy out their stake. So, did you have <laughs> equity in the company? Were you a partner? Or? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was a partner. I was a 25% shareholder in that company. So, they bought you out no. and then you exited? They didn't buy me out. Okay. They just paid me my initial investment what I had to Which was, uh, I think, about 4 lakhs or something. So, just paid that money. That's it. Nothing more, nothing less. And uh, they also, uh, I was the director of that company also, by the way. Oh, I was okay. the signing authority on all the... I was the director. Okay. Because his friend said, I don't trust my mother and all. So you only, if you be the MD, I'll join. I don't want to work with my mother. So she was just another shareholder in the company, and she was not. a... But she was the majority shareholder. See, we were young, so I told auntie, your idea, you take a higher share. Even though we are young, we, we are almost fifty. We are only thirty, so we have enough time in life to you know make our money. So Does the entity exist today? Still? No, no. They closed down. I think about four, three or four years later, okay. two thousand seven. I don't. I didn't really keep in touch with them after that. Okay. So I met the Dante almost nine years later in a coffee date shop. I said, "How are you?" She just kind of said, "Hello, hello," and she moved on. Up.
1: <laughs> so when you went down to Malaysia and came back, right? Uh, uh, and when they approached you to uh, take up this this thing, it was a lot of weight on your shoulder, right? Obviously, they're putting on, uh, this thing on completely,
3: you. Completely, completely. But I was very confident because I had spent a year. And actually, since I was a managing director of the previous firm, I knew everything from marketing to run a business i knew technical stuff how to do the training i knew the people so i was actually very confident about the business and i knew this works with children so i know that you have something good finally i know how to make parents pay for it that's a different problem i have a very good product it's only a question of marketing and obviously i was pretty good at you know confident that i could convince parents to pay a good fee for this product
0: uh, Dinesh, uh, I have a question there. So, what was the strategy you followed to get this to people? Like advertising campaigns, anything unique uh, you did that time to take this brand to people? So I uh, think, especially uh, this
3: was the target audience for your parents, right? So, so, I'll so tell you tell had you. to kind of... Uh, very hard in the parents. early years. Yeah, Because brand doesn't make any sense without knowing what it is. If I tell you, sip abacus, what do you know about abacus? You have no clue. Um, and we didn't have money also. There was absolutely no money to spend on branding, so uh, we just had enough money to you know pay rent and pay our employees and you know whatever salaries and you know keep some money for survival, pay the vendors, buy the stock. You know you have no money to advertise actually in the early days.
1: And this Especially, was all your own
3: money. Yeah, you... all own money. I had borrowed about five lakhs from a friend of mine, mm-hmm. and I paid that back. No investors, day, stars, angel investors, nothing. No bank Even loans, today, nothing. Even today, <laughs> not. No, no, no banks gave us loans for the first think <laughs> years of our business. They said, where is the asset? <laughs> See, every bank asks for asset. And we have no assets. I, I had no house and nothing I had with me to give them as an asset also. But there was no asset to give them to which they will give you a loan uh, back. I had a house and a housing loan that my wife would have never allowed to give. So she said, this is the last thing and you want to give this also. So there was no chance so I would have given that in those days. And I was a typical retired government servant. He was surviving on his pension. So there was no way he could have given me anything. There was no chance of any asset around that. So so just the initial saving, that also I had saved after my job by putting 10-10k every month. I had saved some money. So that corpus was there to put into this first venture, And that is the same money I got. There was nothing, no spare, nothing from anywhere else.
1: <laughs> so your complete money with a loan from a friend is what you started out That's with. That's it.
3: So, just uh, initial investment in that firm was, I still remember, it was totally 10 lakhs. That's it, 4 lakhs of mine. 1 lakh, I had, uh, the Malaysian guy put in, so he got a 20% stake. And 5 lakhs, I took a loan. For which I paid him interest. Huh? Not small number, I paid him 16% interest also. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> so, he said, see, this is it. So, you, you anyway, that was a different story. So, you started, okay with you,
1: you started, you knew this thing, you're there and like, Ram
3: was mentioning. How do you uh, build? So, I think the uh, important thing that uh, I did a lot was travel and showcase this to people, actual demonstrations to parents. So, it was not branding through the traditional route, but a lot of travels across the country, going and meeting schools, convincing the schools, convincing Uh, them or uh, that this is and also convincing franchisees that is a good business for you so i always believed that one of the hardest years were the early years because we neither had demand for a product nor we had supply for the product okay i have parents interested in this program but where is the center there's no center i have people who want to start a franchisee but where is the business there's nobody interested in taking up because why should i start your franchisee? So you have to convince the franchisee also that there will be a business even though there is no great business right now for advertisers. And you have to convince obviously the parents and then you, you can only convince the parents when you
2: have a franchisee. So you got my problem. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So you can only do marketing in areas where you can, you have
3: a center. You can market left anywhere and everywhere. So a lot of travels, I think. A lot of travels and I used to take a child with me as a demonstration of what the program can do for people. A lot of the young kids, I used to travel
2: everywhere in the country.
3: I must have traveled, you know, you tell it, traveled all the way to wherever, you take Chandigarh or Delhi or Rajasthan. or... You know.
1: Did you say but you nah. took a child with you for the demonstration? Yeah, yeah, yeah. From Chennai. Chennai.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Whose child? <laughs>
3: One of the parents' kids.
1: Oh, okay. They would allow the
3: child to travel with you. Hmm. So, they were also uh, quite supportive. Some of those children are doing really well today. One of them is a big doctor in uh, Calcutta. Very young doctor. One other is a top. uh, He finished his engineering and done his master's in the US today. And uh, one more kid. I think all the kids are doing very well today, actually. uh, I went of one of the kids' marriages. I attended last year also. Last year or year before last. (laughs) They were all class 3, 4 and 5 in those days. So, Physically showcasing the children, impress people a lot. Oh, wow, this can happen, you know. But
1: how did you create the awareness and knowledge? Because nobody knew what uh, SIP this thing was, right? Physically, you go talk to people. Uh, okay. Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. Would you you use other
3: channels like newspapers or any other? No, no, not much. We used to do, uh, one good thing we did was, we used to use a lot of press conferences. So when we would launch, we would actually do a press conference in that area. Local, say local franchisees would call the local press people or sometimes we used to pay a press agency and get press articles. And obviously the press was very impress, impressed by seeing all these things. And I think that is where my IIT IM degree helped a lot. In my life, if you ask me where my IIT IM degree helped was this. So they would say, Dinesh Victor from IIT IM is starting. So press would come in here. You know, Who are these young fellows coming and talking about, you know? So I was actually quite, uh, grateful to my degrees in those days and it also helped me in getting a lot of franchises i think so the local manager of that state or local partner in that state would say see this is run by one iit i am so it must be a good company so why don't you join as a franchisee <laughs> and while you traveled
1: and did all this right was there someone to take care of uh, you know the yes, operations
3: back yes, completely 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 you can't do that otherwise so Uh, Sarla, who actually headed a finance, operations and HR, she actually handled the entire back end brilliantly well and I think you need somebody like that if you want to build an organization of large scale, you need somebody who is good at marketing and you also need somebody who is very strong in the back end operations. Only then you can actually run it successfully well. So she was actually a key, key, key resource for the organization. And she joined us very early on, way back. And that also was lucky she was working with me in the bank. And when I was starting something, she was also fed up with the bank and she said, okay, if you're starting something, so well, she had two kids and she wanted a little lesser hectic life. So she said, okay, I'll join up with you. And that's how she joined me. And way back in 2000, she was almost one of the early employees who joined me. And that has helped me enormously in traveling four days a week, five days a week and I knew there was somebody who could, uh, who I could trust to manage the cash flows, the people and
1: everything else. And did you guys break even in the first year itself or?
3: See, we had to break even because there was no cash. We have to keep the expenses within our income. So it was the other way around. So you, you control your expenses so that you know, whatever money comes only you can spend. So you, you plan your expenses based on the money flow and not the other way around. It's not like you spend money and hope for money to come. We were the traditional business wise we learned. We didn't have the investments to you know, first invest and get the money. In those days, we also had no clue how it will work out. We could not predict the future model very well. You know, what if you spend, what will you get back? There was no clear model in terms of getting students back, which much later only we could develop that model. So even an investor would find it hard to invest. But there was nothing for him to know how it will look like in the future.
1: And how was the uh, growth? Like, you know, did you see the hockey stick thing right away or? Uh... Yeah, yeah.
3: We we did see pretty rapid growth in the first three, four years. Uh, reasonably rapid, I would say. It is not a slow growth. It was reasonably rapid. We were growing at about 40-50% year on year for the first three, four years, which was uh, pretty strong. We were adding more franchisees, simple. So, the business model was straightforward. You have a franchisee, they get the students and then they pay a royalty to you. Yes, perfect. Perfect. And they would also pay you for the books and for the kit that you supply to them and you have to work even if you get a franchisee they don't know how to get students right so you'll have to work with them travel and help them get students and train them how to talk to a parent and help them with marketing so that requires a lot of physical travel and you i also was uh, uh, smart enough i would say in a way to get a lot of partners to handle states in the early years so i wouldn't have an employee where i couldn't pay obviously big salaries and that was too much so i would actually convince people to join me as a partner so i would say that you know you take so much share of the business from the state but for that you will have to invest your time have an office these these expenses but you will get these these income and I, i'll help you by traveling and helping you get the business convince franchisees, convinced you know whatever and you also have your own network so that's how i actually built a lot of uh send uh, uh, states by getting partners in in many locations That's quite interesting, Dinesh. You you
1: touched upon one thing, uh, you know, about you helping your franchisees succeed, right? 100%. Yeah, Mm -hmm. because franchisee model, from what we've, you know, seen and understood, a lot of them actually don't get it right. They just think that once they sold the franchisee, they're
3: That's where you start, the work starts only then.
0: Yeah, even I have uh, seen a McDonald's selling dosas. So, that Uh, is like, people are not sticking to what exactly it is, right? No, no, no. that is because uh, the
3: organization hasn't invested enough time with the franchisee to help them build them and make them make money. So, that is why we are successful after… I just
1: want to dig a little bit there on your experience of how to make a franchisee model successful, you know, just throw some
3: light on that. No, I think uh, it's not that complicated. If the franchisee is financially viable, then you are successful. So, you have to make sure that he is financially viable. At a very simple level. I mean, that's a fundamental thing. If they don't make money, then you are obviously not going to have a viable business. So when you go look for a franchisee, right, and uh,
1: they talk to you, what are the things that you evaluate before you decide that you want to give them a franchisee
3: or not? See, in the early days, it was simple. Anybody wants to invest in your business, you would give them a franchisee. But now we have obviously become a lot more selective. So we look at people, whether they give time, they can invest. See, it, it changes as the organization matures. And you are also in a position to say no to people. In the early years, you don't really mind. Anybody comes in, you're okay. But now we've obviously learned with experience that these kinds of people don't succeed very well. These kinds of people succeed well. So you become a lot more selective with time. So now, obviously, we have a lot more roles. We have a form. You fill up. You do an interview. Give some feedback. You have to go through some evaluation process. And fundamentally, I will to invest money and invest time. Uh, above all of this, Dinesh,
0: do you still face some problems with some of the franchises, some challenges? Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's part, and... of, part, of, part, <laughs>
3: uh, part of every business. When you have people, you will have conflicts. Yeah. You need to, how to know how to manage conflicts. There's one other element which I think was very, very useful for me in the second phase, which I forgot to emphasize. And I think uh, the second time when I started the business, since I was a lot more clearer about... Uh, how this will impact children. And unlike the first time, I built in a vision for our organization very early on. And I think I want to emphasize that because that is also very important uh, in many ways. So we actually came up with a vision which says that we are here as an organization, we exist to make a difference nationally in a sustainable manner, which means we must make money by creating and distributing world class programs that significantly impact the mental potential of children now why this was very important is we looked at people who also believed in this vision even though not we can't evaluate everybody but we tried to tell people our focus is to make a difference to children's lives not to make money no doubt you have to make money to be sustainable but if you make money and don't make a difference to children you're not a franchisee you have to make a difference with children and also make money because only then you can pay your rents. That's obvious. But fundamentally, making a difference with children, significant difference with children became our key trade
0: So, talking about the value to the children, I, I just did some research and read some news articles about the Limca Book of Records, some, uh, some world's fastest human computer. You recently facilitated one of your students and how does that process work actually? Uh, so that
3: is, see, when you do, when you, when you, see, when you do thousands of mm-hmm. children, you will have some children who take your program far more than what we give to them. Okay. Right. So we, we, have like, uh, mentioned we have trained almost seven lakh like students or six in the Abacus program close to six and a half lakh like students since we started. So obviously, when you train so many kids, there are some children who will take your Subject more seriously and take it for the they love it so much more. so this is one kid from Banga from Hyderabad who decided to take it a lot more seriously in the future. So he took interest in class nine, and after he finished all our levels, he went on to do a lot more, studied it seriously, took interest in more subjects, and nine ten years later he became the world's fastest calculator.
2: Mm.
3: so obviously, we played a critical role at a critical age in his life, but he also did a lot more after that. Okay. So, it is not that we make people human calculators. No, that's not our goal. Okay. It's not that. Our yeah, goal is to help children to do far better than what they are currently. Mm-hmm. And we just have a three year intervention approximately in every child's life, right? So, they come okay. to us in class three, four, five, or whatever age. They finish by class six, seven, eight. That's it. They're out of our lives. <laughs> so,
1: uh, I just want to slightly steer this conversation uh, to a different direction, so I mean, obviously working all these long hours, you know, putting all the hard work, travel, you know, doing all this takes a lot of uh, your commitment and time, right? So, you, you you had mentioned in our conversation that, you know, uh, your wife wouldn't let you have the house and all that kind of stuff mm-hmm. before. So, talk us a little bit about how, you know, your time and this thing in your professional life uh and your personal life as well. You know, we just want to understand
0: uh, the kind of sacrifices you have to you make have in made your personal and, you know, life. Exactly. The choices. What toll
3: it has taken. Your, you know- so I think uh, this is an excellent question and uh, while it's not a very uh, good uh, story for a young entrepreneur to hear that, but yes, you will obviously have to make some choices in life if you decide to choose a path for yourself. And you've got to be practical and you've got to be realistic about those choices. As... Uh, very nicely, Elon Musk said, you can't change the world working 40 hours a week. So I think, I think most people don't realize the value of putting in 70, 80 hours a week. And it's, it's true that when you start something and you want to give it something big, you have to give in a lot of your time. And absolutely no doubt about uh, that part is that you have to invest a lot of your time to any venture that you do. Uh, one more aspect I'll just come back to this in a minute but there's one more aspect that I would uh, strongly urge all entrepreneurs to do and I was very lucky that I was always into a little bit of fitness and uh, I think most of you know me through the dream runners story but I was always uh, into some amount of running even before dream runners I was to run weekly five kilometers that was a big thing you know once a week I would run five kilometers nothing Mm. nowadays but Those days, that was a big thing. You know, one Sunday, I will run 5 kilometers for about half an hour or 40 minutes. I would think I have done a big achievement. So, I ran my first half marathon way back in 2009. And most of you wouldn't have thought of running also. (laughs) So, and I took almost 3 hours to finish that run, you know. And it was one of the toughest runs of my life. (laughs) I don't know how it ran 21 kilometers. And uh, I ran my first full marathon way back in 2012. Uh, It again took a long time, almost five and a half hours to finish that full. But the fact that I was into fitness gave me the mental strength and the energy to manage the stresses of both family and uh, work. So I would strongly urge people who want to do something serious to have a very good fitness schedule if you want to do something seriously in life. Now, coming to family, obviously, with the kind of travels that I was having, there was less and less time I was spending at home naturally, compared to a usual husband or a usual father. And I think uh, unless you have a a, a partner who understands or appreciates this, it can get very hard on you. Mm. And who fully appreciates and uh, accepts that this is the kind of uh, guy I married or this is the kind of guy that, or this is the kind of spouse I have, whichever way it is, whether your wife or your husband, Mm. it's going to be quite hard for anybody in this uh, industry. And I did have my fair share of challenges. I don't know if most of you know, I did get separated and later on divorced from with my first wife. And I think yeah. a large part of that reason is uh, the fact that, uh, you know, I wasn't uh, in sync with her, with my vision and her vision. You know, I can't blame her. She was because Like mm-hmm. everybody else who expects a guy to, you know, obviously if you married somebody from IITM, uh, you would expect him to have a comfortable life. You know, that's quite normal. So I would work that hard, but I wasn't earning anywhere close to what a usual IIT guy would earn. In spite of working maybe 30-40% more hours than an IIT guy would work at that stage. And it is true. It created his own stress and created his own uh, issues. And uh, I also obviously got closer with uh, people who connected with the way I look at life. And that's how later on I got divorced and I got remarried to Sarla, who actually understood my travels and the vision that I was looking at far more closely. So, you would have would spend four or five days a week traveling and, you know, maybe speaking a little bit on the phone. They would appreciate that because so they know what the bigger picture is. So, I think having uh, somebody who connects with your bigger picture is, 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 you can't have everything right in life. So, you don't have to make do with what you have. But this is a, This is a point, you must have a chat with your spouse that if you are going into a strongly outward journey, you must have a chat that this is the kind of sacrifices that will happen. Otherwise, I'm not going to make it big there. Mm -hmm. You're not going to make it big there. So you got to be realistic. You can't make it big if you don't put in that effort. And obviously, I do regret not spending enough time with my son, Mm -hmm. who obviously was young and you know, he also needed a lot of time. So these are two uh, issues which
2: you did. I did, like you said, sacrifice or miss. Uh, But my other way of looking at it is, he's got a long life ahead of him.
3: He will find his way. (sighs) Just like I found my way, he will find his way.
1: (laughs) Uh, Could you tell us a little bit about, you know, anyone specifically that, you know, you used to be inspired by, you know, growing up in your younger days or in your
3: college, you know, that you took
1: a lot of motivation and energy from?
3: Uh, One does get inspired uh, by uh, looking at the leaders of a freedom struggle. I think the more I read about the leaders of a freedom struggle is extremely inspiring. I think, unfortunately, not enough is told to our young people about our freedom struggle leaders. I think the kind of challenges they had to face to come from where they were and not just freedom alone, even changing the Indian society from where it was to where it They wanted it to reach. So I've actually been highly inspired. I read a book on Gandhi. And I read a book on Nehru. uh, And I read recently a book on uh, Subhash Chandra Bose. It's unbelievable the kind of... I mean, we can't even begin to imagine how did people live those lives and transform our country the way they have transformed. It's it's, it's just... And even I read a book on Anna and Periyar. And uh, uh, later on, I think in business, surprisingly, I was inspired a lot by the growth of Infosys. I don't know any one of them, but the reading about how they built an organization to compete among the best in the industry. A first generation, not even like a Tata's or a Birla's who had, you know, second generation, third generation. These were all first generation, middle class, no capital, not coming from a rich family, just by pure intellect and built a highly value-based team, went public, went international, went global. In a very short way, I think inspiring. For the story, it's extremely inspiring for me in the early days of 2003, 4, 5, I think. And in India, they managed to do that, you know. So, I want to
1: slightly uh, ask you a different kind of question. So, you know, your i d i m IAM, you got the branding and everything, right? Uh, you said, you know, it has its own weightage and people have its own uh, perception about that. Um, and you had the privilege of education, right? And the value Completely. of… Your mom being a postgraduate, you know, uh, yes. very forward-thinking family. So with all that and you coming in, in, you are where you are today. And how much of it do you attribute to hard work and your privilege versus luck?
3: See, I'll tell you, uh, it's always nice to look at things binarily. There are obviously elements of luck in my life which have built me to where I am. And there's no doubt about it. Like you rightly said, my childhood, both my mother being a postgraduate and my dad also being someone who involved me into studies and reading books. And he also was an explorer in his own way. He inspired me in many ways about, you know, exploring about reading and thinking about things differently. So, that is again not in my hands. So, luck. I was just born into that family and then I was born into a family which allowed me to travel across the country. So, no doubt a large element of my uh, success today is for factors on which i don't have control but and there's a big button i always tell that to young people you can't choose the circumstances where you were born or where you came up it's not in your hands right now i could have but i for a long time in life I, I really thought i wasn't lucky i mean now looking back i know i'm lucky but for a long time i never thought i was lucky because it was like everybody else my dad only had a scooter he couldn't have afford a car also so the best he had was a scooter and you know we had all our lives only a scooter. I bought my first car only after I started working. But I would see a lot of people having a car as oh my god and in all entire my hostel life I had only a cycle. Then I would have friends who had motorbikes. And, oh my god, their dad is rich enough to buy them a motorbike. I don't even I'd even buy a cycle and every month I would scrape for the end of the month, you know. So you would growing up you never felt privileged because you were with people who are more privileged than you, or let's say they were more luckier than you. It's only when you grow much older, you look back and the rest of the country realize you're so much more privileged than the rest of the country. But like I always tell, everybody has their chances of luck. So I had my luck. I cleared an exam. So many write that exam. I was lucky I cleared that exam. Many others were not lucky enough to clear that exam. But that luck ran out in two years in IIT when I screwed up. So I could have always gone to the root of, you know, life is, you know, unfair and people are unfair and everybody is, you know, against me and kind of victim mentality. But I took that as a positive experience and transformed it to, okay, uh, engineering is not for me, I'm do something else. In life. So I think everybody goes through positives and everybody goes through sick things in life, as the young people say. <laughs> it's your attitude to both which actually lead you to the next stage in life. So I always believe Ram and uh, Bharat, it's not important what you do in life. It's important where you started off and where you end up. So you could start off as the son of Ratan
2: Tata or son of Mukesh Ambani.
3: But if you haven't moved much from there, your life is a waste. And you could start off, you know, born poor, born in a Dalit family. But if you manage to live a reasonably decent life and move, done, maybe a... Graduation or maybe even a PhD or something, you've moved far ahead. And along your journey, did you have naysayers as well? People who Oh, enough, enough, enough. You will have a lot of naysayers. I tell you, I tell you, my biggest naysayers are my own family members. When I started the first venture, my mom and dad were shocked. They said, Dinesh, how can you leave a foreign bank regional manager job? (laughs) paying you so much of salary, giving you Saturday, Sunday off, getting so much of respect, so much of money at such a young age. How can you leave it to take mathematical tuition for children? <laughs> you could do that. You know, you want to do some NGO work. Weekends, you go to free classes. Why do you want to give up your job for that? <laughs> that
1: was that one-line description of the business. Teaching <laughs> maths for children.
3: <laughs> you can do that free on Saturday, Sunday. Oh. And I can't blame them because, you know, like every other parent, they love want the children to be comfortable and safe. And with their knowledge, they felt whatever was. Doing but was how successful. how did you manage to convince them? Like, uh... see, I was a guy very early on who decided to do what I want to do, and that is I must thank my dad for this. He never interfered with whatever I wanted to do, and he said, you "Just do what you want. It's your life." And I will, whatever possible, I will support you. After a point, I cannot support you. But then it's your life after that. Because I have only that much ability. So, uh, and I'll give you a great story on this also, just for your information. I wrote my IIT. But surprisingly, I also wrote the All India Medical exam. And I became actually cleared that also. I could actually become a doctor also. Okay. That was the first year we had this All India CBSE exam way back in 1988, I think. So, I cleared it. I just went and wrote because at the school, didn't come, I filled the form, so I went and wrote the exam. I would have got into Trivandrum Medical College and I may have become a doctor also today. Mm-hmm. After a year of IIT or year and a half, I went back home. I told my dad, actually, I'm not liking IIT at all. I told him honestly. I, I was reasonably honest with him that this is not, I don't think I'm going to do much and I was quite frustrated. My grades were not good. I was enjoying everything else except the academics. But I actually told me, you know, if you really want to quit, you quit and you study and go back and do medicine. I'll support mm-hmm. you wherever I can." After one and a half years of IIT. And I think that was a huge uh, positive. I obviously declined it. I said, you, know, you already wasted so much money on me. I can't allow you to waste another five years of your money on me. But the fact he made that statement gave me a huge amount of courage that he believes in you and it's okay, you made a mistake.
2: You can still change it. And I think I've always been my own after that. So, uh,
0: now that acquisitions are happening, right? So, you have got any uh, acquisition proposals from the biggies, so-called biggies? Uh,
1: Did they come
3: to
0: try and bully you and
1: or acquire you or?
3: Uh, uh, So, I'll tell you. uh, Maybe you can uh, club
1: that with the other thing I had in mind. Both are slightly complementary is the future.
3: Uh, Mm -hmm. I was going to answer that. Yeah. uh, Same Mm -hmm. thing. I was going to say that so actually uh, the good part is uh, we are in an industry with nobody understands what we do so they haven't really you know it's not like a school or a iit exam preparation center or a, you know i medical exam Preparation, coaching, that all people understand. They haven't don't, they don't really understood our business very well.
0: But still, people understand the numbers, right? Like uh, what it is. So yeah, that, yeah,
1: yeah.
2: So, hey, oh, you
3: know, parents of Samadhi is teaching maths to kids. Kids, exactly. <laughs> so, what these guys are doing, you know, teaching maths to kids, you know, they've not fully cracked it. And, uh, uh, no, there's one more point that you haven't asked me is the COVID part. That's also an important part of our story. So, let me quickly combine both so that I won't waste too much of the time of your listeners. COVID also was a great time for us because we have never run this business online. And COVID told us how we can manage this entire business without meeting a parent completely online. And uh, using known technologies, largely Zoom or Google Meet and WhatsApp, we can use existing technologies to actually deliver content and deliver kids' performance almost equally good as what we were doing in the classroom model. Almost equally good. And this has actually opened up our business completely from what it used to be before COVID. No doubt we lost a lot of business. About 25-30% of our business dropped during the COVID period. But the learnings that we've had in the COVID period are something which will hold, help us for a long time. For example, now we can teach kids in the US, mm. in London, the doors who never have thought of one year back. And we are teaching, by the way. We've added quite a lot of international kids in the last seven, eight months, which we didn't add a single kid before that. But I think 2020 has made us an edu 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 tech company. We can train teachers, we can hire parents, we can supply the stock by courier, they can learn, we can even supply some books by PDF and stuff like that. So using simple technologies at our disposal, we can deliver content to kids anywhere globally. I know this business better than anyone else. Maybe I'll make some money, that's it. But I was never keen on money from day one. If I wanted money, I would have started this business in the first place, right? I want to make an impact. So if somebody comes to acquire me and he can prove that he can make a better impact with me, then I will talk to him. Otherwise, just for money, I'm not going to talk to him.
1: Dinesh, how much of the content that you're delivering is proprietary to
3: your… Completely Pro- proprietary. Fully belongs to you, guys. Fully belongs to us. You developed it over the years. No, no, no. We've taken the original Malaysian content. Later okay. on, we've taken over the Malaysian company also. So, that's how we are now running it internationally. Okay. So, we own the full content. Which full year IP. was this? Did you? 2016 apply? end. Fantastic. November 2016. We signed an agreement. They were not growing too much very well. So, we kind of took over. So, now that's how we are running it in so many countries. Thank so, you so much, Dinesh. It's been fantastic. Thank you so much, Dinesh.
0: It is very nice talking to you. And thank so you for I, all your time. And
3: so I also want to tell people that uh, you can build world-class businesses sitting out of India and sitting out of Chennai, mm-hmm. but yes, you need to be, I do a lot of reading. Mm-hmm. So you need to be reading a lot. So it's not that my am taught me everything. They just gave me a start. That's it. A lot of my learning has come because I've read a lot of books, uh, some of the really good books, like, you know, the good two great series by, you know, uh, Jim Collins has been quite inspiring for me. Not a lot of really, I learned read a lot and I learned to read a lot of history, uh, politics, management, and that gives you a, like economics and uh, psychology, a lot of books and psychology. It gives me a great amount of insight. And uh, so again, thanks to my travels, I get a lot of time to read. So I think I have lost a lot of my reading in the last one year in COVID sitting at home. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that is, I think I, it's just that, you know, you, you have to keep building your knowledge. And, You can make an impact over time.
1: And certainly a great impact you made, Dinesh. That was Dinesh Victor from SIP Abacus for you. Thank you, Dinesh, for sharing the journey of your life with us. And thank you, audience, for listening to this podcast. And don't forget to leave us your comments. And all we ask you to do is share this podcast with your friends if you enjoyed it. And until we bring you the next summer story, this is Ram and Balad signing off.